0: Well, welcome to those of you who are joining us online, and hello again to everyone here joining us today in person. Today we're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins. This is a series that we started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Precious started us off with the sin of pride, and last week I spoke on the sin of wrath. Today we are speaking on the sin of greed. Now, I'll, I'll say this again, I said it last week. The seven deadly sins are not actually a concept from the Bible, They are a concept from Christian tradition. This is a list of sins that came out of a group known as the Desert Fathers in the second and third century. Uh, They often lived in the area of Egypt and Libya and Syria and a whole lot of that area. And they came up with, they wanted to simplify the lists of sins that we do find in the Bible in order to make it a manageable, not, not so much a manageable number, but a manageable concept that we could take to our lives and use to help us get closer to God to become more Christ-like as we go through our lives. So before we get into today's um, message on greed, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we could be together today. We pray that you would open our hearts as we open your word, God, That you would meet with us, that we would come away different for having met you, Lord. I pray that your words would come from my mouth, that I would be your mouthpiece today. We need to hear your words, not mine. We are here to meet with you, God. pray that you would be with us in your name. Amen. Did you know that there are more verses on money in the Bible than there are on love or faith? Really, the Bible has some 31,000 verses in it, and many of them, frankly, are, and then David went to Jerusalem, right? Like, there's a whole lot of just straight narrative in the Bible that aren't, like, about anything. But over 2,000 verses of the Bible are about money. Like, more like 2,300. It's, it's almost 8% of the Bible, which is kind of stunning, like, to think that 8% of the Bible, including all of the passages that are all of the verses that are really just about going from one place to another or just describing what happened that aren't teaching, 8% of the whole thing is about money. And greed often comes up in that context, right? I mean, the dictionary de- definition of greed is intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food, And I kind of like that that definition isn't just about money. I don't know about you, when I hear the word, word greed, my mind goes immediately to money. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about possessions, I'm thinking about material wealth, and I like that there is an aspect to greed that isn't just about money. It can be about other things, and I think that's worth keeping in mind. And the one that I see often in my own life is my two children will be playing, and one child will be playing with one toy and having a great time. And the other child wants that toy, right? I want to play with Thomas. No, I want to play with Thomas. Okay, sweetie, how about you play with James instead? Okay, I'll play with James. And then the other one goes, no, I want to play with James. See, we know what I'm talking about. Kids want the things, right? They, They want them, they want to have fun even if it's at the expense of the other one. So, We can all probably agree that greed is bad, but let's go through four reasons why greed is bad just for the exercise. Firstly, greed is bad because greed deprives others. And it's not that you shouldn't have stuff, right? I'm not talking about giving away everything that you have, but that when you have the opportunity to help someone, when you have the opportunity to give James over, but you don't, because of greed, well, now someone is being deprived, right? It's not that you shouldn't have things, it's that when you have an opportunity to help and you decide not to, now you are depriving. That, that is what, that is kind of part of it. Secondly, greed makes you self-centered. Axiomatically, definitionally, greed makes you focused on yourself and your own desires. And generally, we can all agree that being self-centered is not a great way to live your life. But third, and maybe more importantly, greed is directly opposed to faith. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10, we read that whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Have you ever heard that expression, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Heard that one? Needing more, that that need, that desperate need that I, I just, I don't feel safe. That's insecurity, right? That's what that is. Insecurity is the opposite of trust. And trust fundamentally is faith. Faith is trust. So if you don't have trust, then you don't have faith. And if you don't if you're feeling insecure because you need more, well, you're lacking faith. So greed is directly opposed to faith. And fourth, greed takes God off the throne of your life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 explicitly calls greed idolatry. The story of the rich young ruler appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10, and Luke 18 all feature the story which we know as the rich young ruler. This is the story where the young man comes to Jesus and he says, what shall I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus walks him through a couple things and he says, one more thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. His greed, his love of what he had, actively kept him from following God. It got in the way. It took God off the throne of his life and put himself in that place. Talk about a deadly sin. Anything that can take God off the throne of your life, that's what I would call a deadly sin. That would be be a good one for that kind of name. And of course, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, we read that the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Of course. It's easy to agree with all this, right? We've had lots of nodding heads. We've had lots of giggles as I've said something almost humorous. It's easy for us to agree that greed is bad. But I want us to be a little bit careful as we do this. I want us to examine our motives. I want us to be careful that when we condemn greed, we're not actually just condemning wealth and that we're condemning wealth from a place of envy. I feel like I see that a lot, that people condemn wealth because they wish they had it and they talk about what they would do if they had it. Envy is our topic next week, which Paul Boga will be preaching on and I'm excited to hear what he has to say, so I won't get into that. But one other caution is that we need to be cognizant, we need to recognize our own greed. That this isn't, this isn't something that we just see in someone else. Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I had a conversation with a woman once who was very upset that Another woman that she knew, in fact, I think she'd gotten the story secondhand, but this, this second woman was talking about how she'd spent like hundreds of dollars, like like six, eight hundred dollars, like a lot of money on the sweater that she was wearing. She'd received a compliment on it, and it had come up how much the sweater had cost, and it was a very expensive sweater. And this woman happened to be the wife of a pastor, not this wife of a pastor, you guys don't pay me that well, I promise. <laughs> but it, it came up that this sweater was extremely expensive. And the woman that I was speaking to was, was very offended by this. And, and she was saying things like, think of, the, think of how we could have helped the poor, or the things that could have been done with that much money, rather than spending that money on a sweater. And I, I think there's a, a reasonable conversation to be had there, right? About, about value versus what we spend on, on particular items. But I had to turn to this woman and I had to ask her how much she'd just finished spending in the last two weeks building a brand new wraparound porch on her house. Because let me tell you, that number was like 10 times, 5 or 10 times what this other woman had spent on her sweater. I knew because I'd helped build that porch. <laughs> but it actually, like, it shut her up frankly. Like, she, she actually went, I did not think about it that way. Like, that we, we in our own lives spend money on things, and an argument can absolutely be made. You need to build a porch on your house, right? If your house, is, if your house is elevated, you need some steps to get down to the ground. Well, people need to wear sweaters, too, right? You can't just walk around with your out in the open, right? So, the argument can be made, but we still need to be thinking about what are the ways that we do it ourselves. For your consideration, if you work full time in Manitoba at the current minimum wage, you will make approximately $25,000 a year before taxes. Globally, this puts you in the 92nd percentile of global income. If you earn 60,000 taxes or $60,000 in Manitoba, you're at the 99th percentile. And if you earn $90,000 a year, You are the global one percent. Now, $90,000 is a lot of money, but it's not like that much money. Like university professors make more than that. Right? Like teachers don't, but I think principals do. Like it's not not that much money in our context. And for us to recognize that is really important to, to actually realize where we're at. Which brings us to how is it that we fight greed? And one of the first things that we can do is to be content. To not be anxious for more. To recognize where we have, what we have, and to be thankful for that. Now, again, caveats, this isn't against trying to improve or grow. It's not that we're not trying to improve or grow. It's that we're not being anxious. And on the flip side, to be content is not to be lazy. Right? Contentedness is not laziness. It's not deciding, well, it's fine. Right? Like, it's, we we just want to make sure that we don't fall into either ditch on this, uh, either extreme on that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul is reminding us that Jesus is our real provision and that Jesus is the reason and the way that we can get through all of our situations. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 to 10, which I already alluded to, where Paul says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction." For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Be careful. Be content because the pursuit can be really, really dangerous. The second way that we fight against greed is with generosity. Generosity. There's a story in Mark chapter 12 verses 41 to 44, of the widow and her two mites, where we read that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, "Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury." than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, I am not suggesting that you drop your entire rent and grocery budget into the offering plate today. I am not suggesting that. But it is important to note that generosity isn't only for the rich. It is so easy for us to say things like, well, someday when I make more money, then I can give more. Then I can, then I can do more. My, my wife and I regularly have the conversation when we allow ourselves to daydream a little bit, wouldn't it be nice if the church said, oh, we need to do, you know, we need, to, we need to get a new camera. We're talking about getting a new camera for our streaming services. If the church said we need a new camera for us to be able to say, would you take a check? You know, to be able to say, we'll take care of that. We need to, we need to redo the youth room. Would you take a check? Wouldn't that be great But generosity isn't a someday command. Generosity is for today. That's part of why I like the principle of tithing. It's very equal. 10% is 10% whether you make $100 or $1,000. It's it's a very equal principle because it doesn't put extra on, it doesn't, it's not a solid amount, and that means that if you make less, you give less. And I, I think that that's very good. On October 3rd, We were talking about the, just at the beginning of this month, we were talking about the values of our church. And on October 3rd, we were talking about we bring our best. And I said that bringing our best is about feeling the stretch. And I think that that is a whole lot of how we handle generosity. Charlotte's over here with Rachel at the door. Thanks, honey. That's my little girl. She's, she's the light of my life. Um, where was I? <laughs> Being generous is about feeling the stretch, right? Like, it's so easy to drop a couple bucks in the offering plate, but it's when we feel that we're going, oh, can I? I think I can. I want, I want to do this. I'm, maybe I'll sacrifice a little bit and, and push through. That's when we're feeling that stretch. So if you want to know, if you want to know what the easy answer is, if you want me to tell you how much should I give, how much should I give to the church, if you want me to give you a blanket answer, my blanket answer is 10% before taxes. That's my blanket answer. Now, we can talk about that, and I'm also not holding you to that. Nobody has to drop off their tax forms here for me to check, I promise. But the more complex answer is that it is between you and God. Your giving is how you honor God. It is how you fight greed. It is how you make sure that God is staying on the throne of your life. We honor God. We feel the stretch. We bring our best. And whatever you feel that you can manage, that is between you and God. And we honor that. Thank you. Thank you for being part of what goes on here. For the, the difference that we make in our community. For the love and community that we're able to share amongst one another. Thank you. Two passages to highlight the point. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story about, called the shrewd manager. And I see it's up on the screen, but we're not going to read it because it's kind of a long story and it's kind of weird. Jesus tells a story about this guy who is working for someone else and is told that he's going to be fired. And so he starts giving stuff away. He starts giving away his manager's possessions. Which is like, this is not what you're supposed to do. This is not a good Christian behavior right, to be, to be stealing from one person in order to make your life easier later. And yet Jesus commends the shrewd manager because the man is using worldly possessions in order to make friends, in order to make connections, in order to have an eternal impact. And the story that Jesus tells is about using our current world's resources in order to make a difference for heaven, that we don't get to take these things with us, and so we might as well use them now to connect with people, because people do get to come. A second passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 12, where Paul says, The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, that's a great passage if you want to preach prosperity gospel, which is not what we're doing, right? Like this is not actually saying. this isn't saying that God promises to make you wealthy because you give. It's just not what it says. But it does highlight the the purpose of money is worship. That we worship God through our finances, through how we prioritize that part of our life. Because worship is not just singing on Sunday. It's not just what we do when we come together here. Worship is our whole life. In fact, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because everything that we do is to love and serve God including our money. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, David is praying because David is offering gifts to, well, frankly, to his son, but it's for the building of God's temple because Solomon is going to build the temple of God and David wants to supply what Solomon will need. And David prays, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Generosity, when we give, when we give to God, when we, when we give not even just to the church, but when we help people who are in need, generosity reminds us that we do not create our own wealth, that everything that we have comes from God, and that everything exists to serve Him. To close, I want to read an extended passage from the Sermon on the Mount because I really think we could do a lot worse than to close the service by reading a whole bunch of the words of Jesus. But I want us to read this passage, I want us to, to hear it, to think about it, to ponder it, to let it go into your soul as Jesus speaks on the topic of greed and money and on faith in Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 19. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. We repent, Lord, of the sin of greed. It's so easy to fall into and it's so endemic in our society, God. We turn to you. We want to be your people. We want to be people of charity, of generosity, of kindness, people of faith who trust you for our future and not in our wealth or in our princes, God. We pray that you would continue to work this out in our lives, that this wouldn't be a one-and-done time for us, Lord, that we would continue to wrestle with it. I pray that you would bring this up to us as we go about our weeks, that we would remember these words, that your, your word, your Bible, would come up in our hearts as we go to make decisions, and that we would make those choices to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.